back to another episode of Real Conversations About Aging Parents. I hope you are enjoying the podcast this year so far. I got a couple early part of next year I think are going to be really exciting as well. So I just want to thank everybody again for being a listener, for sharing. Please do go like and review and uh, the podcast on Spotify or Apple, wherever you're at, that will help us share. So anyway, you guys know I love sticky and taboo topics. That's pretty much what this whole podcast is about. But I wanted to specifically focus on the topic of ageism today. And I'll date this back to the first time I thought about doing this podcast was actually a very awkward moment. So in my job setting, we were having a triennial survey. So it was a big survey we have every three years. And one of the surveyors was sitting down with our group and we were making small talk And one of my colleagues mentioned that I have a podcast and then always stirs up some questions. Oh, what's your podcast about? And what's the name of it, et cetera. And the reason we were even talking about it was that this surveyor had had said that she was an aging in place specialist. So she, part of what she was doing was helping advise people on on aging in place. And she was speaking about it and had a lot of uh, leadership in that area. And so I I said the name of the podcast is Real Conversations About Aging Parents. And at first, I think she didn't hear me. So she had a pen and a paper out and she said, oh, okay, uh, Real Conversations, what? And I said, about aging parents. And I could tell the pen stopped moving. And she looked up to me or looked up at me, not to me. <laughs> and she said, so I don't think this podcast is for me. It's probably about me. And that just landed kind of awkward for me. And I felt like I was apologizing for the podcast for maybe offending this person. I believe she said she was in her early 70s. And at at that moment, I thought I, I try not to come off as ageist or somehow discriminating against who should be listening to this. But what I said to her was, well, a lot of people that listen to the podcast are in their 60s, 70s because they also have aging parents, depending on the number of years between you and your parents. But but anyway, I had never kind of heard it said that way. And she just seemed to have this realization that the podcast was, well, quote unquote, not for me, but about me. And <laughs> to make that story more complicated, the next day when we completed our survey, she was particularly harsh against our programs and our teams. And I mean, not not terribly off off base, but just if you've ever been through a survey, they can either be really, really, really nitpicky or they can kind of go with the flow. Anyway, so she ended up by far being the most nitpicky. nitpicky. Um, and I'm going to die if she's listening to this. but And I'm sure she's not because she didn't finish writing the podcast name down. But anyway, I remember thinking, oh my God, I can't believe like maybe she doesn't like me or this concept or the podcast idea or whatever. I don't know. You know how it is in your head. You're just thinking. So anyway, I, I remember this look that shot across the table when we were talking about the podcast and and she became immediately disinterested in the topic, which anyway, made me think more about ageism. When I went into developing the concept of the podcast and lining up guests and so forth, I've always have it ever present in my brain that that the podcast, I never wanted it to be an assault or a judgment or somehow poking fun at or something of people who are aging because we're obviously all aging and 
whatever age we're talking about, hopefully we'll be there one day. And so, but that doesn't uh, mean that I haven't cringed at some of my own comments or concepts that have come up and, and worried that we are not here to assign people over a certain age as being feeble or disabled or losing mental faculties. I mean, the opposite of that is true. The people are living longer, healthier, with higher cognitive health. I, I don't want to come across as having some caricature of a person. Now, just to add a little bit of depth to this topic that kind of pushed me into to doing this podcast, I was at the Nutcracker play over the weekend, and there was a certain scene where the grandmother comes out, and she's the grandmother by her gray hair, because obviously this person was wearing a wig, and the way that that person was portrayed was stooped over with a cane and confused. So there had to be a younger person that was sort of escorting the grandmother across the stage and showing her where to go. And then, of course, the grandmother turns the wrong direction. And then the younger person says, no, 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 go this way. And 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 then that's the end of the scene. And and I know this is very much part of our, our culture, part of how people in certain age groups are portrayed. And it's been around for a very, very long time. But when we talk about ageism, it's one of the isms, right? Let's talk about the formal definition of what that is. So ageism is a form of discrimination and prejudice based on a person's age, typically directed towards older individuals. It can involve things like stereotyping, employment discrimination, media portrayals, etc. And technically, although it's typically directed towards older individuals, ageism is considered a two-way street. And so you can have younger people. The idea is that you're discriminating just based on somebody's age, not necessarily an older age. So there could be negative stereotypes about people who are younger. There could be job discriminations against people who have less experience or are younger, those types of things. But in general, when we say the word ageism, most of the time we're referring to a discrimination or prejudice against somebody who is older. Now, there isn't a cutoff, <laughs> if you're wondering. Is it 55? Is it 65? Is it 75? Um, AARP keeps lowering the age for their membership, but that's also how they get more members. So I believe AARP now starts at age 50. But the retirement age is creeping up quite a bit. So that's up into the mid-60s now. And so... There isn't a hard and fast rule of, of over a certain age, X, Y, Z. Now, you do get Medicare benefits at 65. So at least the government in general is thinking, okay, this is the, the age at which we're going to need um, federal health care for people that are basically retiring or need extra assistance in that way. So where where does ageism show up? So let's talk about first in the workplace. And this is important and very relevant, especially of aging parents who are still in the workplace which is how are they treated as far as securing employment, promotions, wages, et cetera, compared to their younger counterparts. And it's sometimes you can't put a finger on it, but all of us know somebody who felt kind of pushed out at the end of their career. Maybe they were making too much money for what the firm was going to pay, or maybe they weren't in with all the new technology, whatever you want to think about. But employment-based discrimination is, it can be really hard to identify, especially when it comes to, to age. But that can put people out of the workforce. When you put somebody out of the workforce involuntarily, you have to understand that this is not just a financial 
transition for that person. So say they were making $5,000 a month and now they're making $0 per month because they've lost their wages, they've lost their employment, particularly at that age, but across the age spans, they may also be losing their day-to-day structure. They may also be losing their social setting. They may also be losing the extra vision, dental health benefits associated with that. And so loss of employment now in your 20s and 30s may just be par for the course. But when you've been somewhere, particularly for a long period of time, and you leave involuntarily or you're asked to leave, that can have a a physical impact, again, just on the day-to-day activity levels that can have a psychological impact, a social impact, et cetera. And so thinking about employment, particularly for an older individual, particularly if they have low social support outside of their workplace, that could be something that's really, really helping them thrive and be healthy. And then and then leaving employment when, when it's not something that they've uh, worked, desired, such as a, a retirement or a transfer somewhere else, that that can be really challenging. Another way that we think about ageism is just the social stereotypes, right, that are depicting older people as less capable, less adaptable, maybe even less valuable. And you can see this, like I said, in the nutcracker, them having this person be less capable. They can influence influence how people are treated, perceptions of, of different parts of life. So these social stereotypes can lead to a couple of different behaviors that maybe you're not investing as much time in people who are older. Maybe they are not in the churn of your own life for different reasons. Socially, maybe they're less included because you're worried. Maybe they can't uh, navigate the steps or the conversations or what they have to offer isn't going to be relevant to the younger crowd, something like that. So I'm sure you can come up with any number of social stereotypes. I mean, even in just the Simpsons, I mean, I could probably do multiple podcasts just on the Simpsons, but the way that older people are portrayed just in that sitcom that's been around as for many, many, many decades, right, is elderly, hard of hearing, confused, disoriented, etc. So Simpsons has pretty much every stereotype possible, but that's a negative stereotype. When you go into think watching any TV show with with parents that live in the home, you can go through various stereotypes there. They older people can tend to be irritable or disconnected. <laughs> and and I think media influence is important, especially social media influence. And as I spoke about in another episode, the number of elderly people in social media, at least represented on TikToks and YouTube shorts and et cetera, is very low. And so you have a a younger generation whose media experience are these platforms much more than broadcast TV, and they're just simply not even exposed to that population. I guess at least with broadcast TV, you'd have broadcasters who were older, Barbara Walters and people that you could watch over decades age on screen. And then like I mentioned, Everybody Loves Raymond or some TV show where there are older people featured in those episodes. Frasier, that's probably my favorite, right? So Frasier's dad living living in the apartment. But again, if you're, say, my 12-year-old daughter, and if you're watching things like YouTube Shorts or the the short-form video platforms, there's just simply not a lot of elderly people on there. So the media influence can help even further that stereotype and some of that disconnect. 
There is a a known bias or misconception as well that older people are not romantic or sexually active, those types of things, which can make it more difficult or um, challenging for providers, healthcare settings to remember to ask them about that to make sure that they're safe and that they're healthy. And this idea, again, that they've aged and become less capable or less valuable, and that that can seep into even to healthcare settings of of just making a lot of assumptions. And so I, I think I'll just put my flag down on the word assumptions. It's probably the word that's most relevant here is when you see somebody's physical appearance, your brain will automatically make a set of assumptions before you've even processed the visual picture of them standing in front of you. And there's an immediate, almost what we call pre-conscious judgment. It's like your brain gets submitted an algorithm and it comes up with a list of what it thinks about that person and presents it to you. And the way that the brain works is is only if proven opposite do you move away from that. So that's what really a preconception and an assumption or a prejudice would be, which would be once I have that visual picture of you and I see uh, gray hair or a cane or something like that, then my brain is automatically populating what that what that person can do or, or information about that person. And obviously, this is applicable to many, many other settings of seeing somebody's skin color or their gender or their dress or whatever you want to go with. But for this, the signals that we have visually that somebody is older is that image that comes up in our head. And then we kind of, again, come up with, say, 10 things we're going to think about that. And especially as a healthcare provider, and we do training on things like this to try to remove some of these biases, is just to be aware of that, that you're going to go into this thinking, I'm going to underappreciate some of these aspects of care for this patient. And and I think that's important, but I get to do that because I'm a physician and we have training for that. But outside of that, I there to, to my knowledge, isn't mandatory formalized training for this. And so being aware, I, if we go to sort of what we can do about ageism, number one is just the awareness that it is a, it, it, it is a factor. And even for people who are in their 60s and 70s can be ageist. And, and so this isn't exclusive to a certain age group. But I really think having no underlying assumptions about a person and their capabilities or mental faculties is very important. And to go into it basically with a neutral or no opinion type state and then fill in from there. Not that you even have to form full opinions about just everybody you see, but this idea being that once we become aware that ageism is present and how we include people in activities, how we talk to people, et cetera, that that would be the first step. And I'll I'll give you an example. So I think there's also an assumption that people who are older are hard of hearing And so we joke in in older populations that the doctors and nurses come in and they talk excessively loud for older individuals. Part of that is because they're empathetic and they're trying to compensate for a sensory issue. But one thing that we talk about doing or trying to remember is to speak normally at first and then look for a signal that there's a hearing problem cupping behind the ear or somebody saying uh, something quietly, like, can you come closer? And then adjusting our volume versus walking up to somebody who looks to be older and just talking twice as loud as you normally do with the assumption being that that they may be hard of hearing. And so, so again, being aware that there may be some sensory issues, vision or hearing, but not walking into a social encounter or a healthcare encounter 
and in assuming that that's what's present. If you refer back to the podcast on story keeping, we talk about the ethical will, which is how we get stories and hand-me-down value systems and ethics and so forth from people who are older. And knowing that that is very specific to an earned perspective over time. And so you wouldn't necessarily go to a 19-year-old looking for the wisdom of decades of, of experience on this earth. And so being having deference for the experience of level of those individuals and, and intentionally seeking that out and including that in your experiences, in your conversations, in your workplaces, et cetera. So another thing that we can do to help tackle ageism is also, and I'm big on this, is, is really focusing on environments that don't highlight or exaggerate or exacerbate some of the conditions associated with aging. And so creating homes that allow people to function longer independently and, and maximize their, their function and quality of life at any age is part of being understanding of natural body changes over time and knowing, okay, well, we're going to build um, the layout for this home to be such that it's easy to transition from one room to the next if somebody had a walker for balance or that we're going to build a bathroom to make it easier for somebody to get around if they came in in a wheelchair or something like that. And so part of ageism is built into the fabric of our society. And I'll refer back to the first podcast with Esther Greenhouse. The environmental gerontologist talks a lot about this, how we've sort of engineered in exacerbations of aging because of the way that we design our buildings and our spaces. Another area we can talk about this is the idea of capacity and the assumption that some people make based on their age or their appearance that this person cannot make decisions for themselves or for their health care. And there are formal processes, we've talked about these in a couple different podcasts, of how you would determine whether or not somebody has capacity. But it is actually not too uncommon to see somebody assume their age and assume incapacity. And sometimes you're trying to tell an adult child of a patient, this person can make their own decisions. They're able to uh, decide this for themselves. And sometimes you're trying to convince the adult child of a patient that they're actually able to make their own decisions and their wishes have to be respected because there is no evidence to the contrary just because it's a decision we don't like or that we wouldn't make ourselves that that's still something they possess. And, and I'm very careful about capacity because it's one of the very last things that we have to have agency over our own lives. And so um, anyway, so the idea of capacity, um, the idea that um, we don't just assume based on somebody's age or appearance that they can't make their decisions. So that's a big one as well. Um, so I had a couple of other things I was going to discuss, but um, midway through the podcast, I've already edited this out, but my grandmother came in and asked me to mail a letter. And so I took that opportunity to have her sit down and answer some questions for me on this topic. I felt it was very appropriate that we have somebody represented and included in the conversation. Um, she'll say things that contradict everything I just said, which is normal. Um, but anyway, I, I thought it was a valuable perspective. So I will add that here um, at the end coming up in just a few minutes. So just some last parting thoughts on ageism from my point of view. Um, First of all, it's just the awareness of what our own biases are. Second of all, it's being very intentional um, 
to include people um, in different age groups and multiple activities, having age diversity as well as other forms of diversity is something that we can look at in our communities, in our employment settings, whatever that looks like for you. Um, and the next one is also just to be aware of some you know, special considerations that we don't make assumptions about their sensory abilities, their cognitive abilities, et cetera, uh, just based on the way that they look. And so anyway, without further ado, I will bring uh, Nana back on the podcast. Now I'm starting to wonder if she'll be a regular. She may be if I start recording because uh, in many of the podcasts, she's actually somewhere in the background asking me a question or doing something. And so uh, I may pull her in more. But anyway, please enjoy the, the remainder of the podcast. So I have a special guest with us. I, as I was recording this, Nana came to check on me. No, you came to uh, mail something. Anyway, so Nana, I'm recording this podcast about ageism. So ageism is discrimination against people who are older. Um, and that could be like in a healthcare setting by a doctor or just out at the store or just in general. And my question for you is, do you feel like you've ever experienced somebody treating you differently because of your age? Well, actually, I haven't. I don't know why, because a lot of people have complained about that. Yeah. Uh, because even in their 80s, you know, they get kind of pushed aside. What do you mean by pushed aside? Well, because they're supposing they're going to get in line and get in a... No, that won't work. <laughs> I can't. Uh, let's see. And I haven't experienced it myself. Everybody has always been very nice to me. I don't know why, but uh, there's, I, well, just like today, the, the card that I was going to mail, this is a Billie Jean Ryan, and she, we were in elementary school together, and we had a many years together where we were just work talking back and forth and back and forth. We never did get together. We just kept saying we're going to get together. Well, she passed away, mm. and I don't know that that she was sick. I don't know that you know the like that, but nobody celebrated her life. Uh, she was a very good person, and I don't know why they didn't uh, lean more towards her life instead of her death. Can you talk to me about that? What do you mean they didn't celebrate it? Well, you, you, you <laughs> they didn't celebrate it. Well, you celebrate by remembering their good parts, the, the remembering the 
good times you had, uh, the songs that you used to sing, uh, song, stuff like that. You, you're celebrating their life is what I call it. So do you feel like sometimes younger people have a hard time kind of recognizing that? Yes. Okay. If there, if there were three things you wanted people to remember about you, what would those three things be? That I try to be up all the time. You do. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and what, how many more? <laughs> <laughs> so that was one, and I asked for three, so you have two more. Uh, okay. Uh, I try to lean towards helping people. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't let them get me down. If they've done something wrong, I forgive them. Yeah. And, uh, I go on from there. I don't dwell on it. So what would number three be? Hmm. The place I live, I guess. I have a very nice place to live. So you want them to remember you in a nice place? Yes. Being very forgiving and always up? Yes. Are you always up for yourself or for other people or for both? For both. For both. I I'm tried. Somebody says, well, how are you today? Well, I'm fine. Are you lying sometimes? Sometimes I am. Why do you lie? Because I'd rather have them feel good about the way I feel. Oh, that's a very dangerous thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but that's the way I do it. You know, Nana, there's been minutes before I've taken you to the hospital, you said you felt fine. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess there is. <laughs> what what would it what would it mean to you if you just told the truth? What if what if being older is hard? I don't know. You don't know? No. What do people get wrong about 90-year-olds? Do you think people assume that you're slow or disorganized or disorganized? Well, you might be disorganized in general. <laughs> that might have been a, a trademark before you were 90. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't actually know the answer to that. No, I don't either. What do you think people assume about you because you're 90? That I'm not as agile as I should be. Do you find that's true? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I have to push to go. Yeah. I I don't go anywhere. Yeah. I don't go to the grocery store. I don't go. I And it's not that I don't want to. It's that I can't. Because of pain. But yes. Yes. So what else do people get wrong about 90-year-olds? You think that they assume that they're they're not agile. What else do you think people get wrong? Huh? I don't know. What the else they would get wrong? What's it like to be 90? What's it like to wake up and be 90? I never think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Does it hurt? 
No, not any more than it did when I was 89. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How about compared to when you were 29? Oh, quite a difference. Quite a difference? Quite a difference. It hurts more. Yes. Oh, yeah. So it hurts to be up and move around. Yes. Okay. Yeah. What makes you worried? What do you worry about? My family. You don't worry about yourself, I don't think. No. I worry about my family. Yeah. Always. When I go to bed at night, that's my final prayer. What's that? That all of my family is well and safe. Okay. And and so you worry about them, but not your own health or things. Yes. Why is that? I don't know. I I don't know. I didn't write it down somewhere. Yeah. I don't actually know. I, it's just there. What's the beautiful part about being 90? What do you love about it? What What's the blessing of being 90? Hmm. I guess being able to talk to people and let them know what it's what it's like. Yeah, what is it like? I don't know. Well, I can tell you, I think it would be really cool because you have a great-grandchild who's 22 years old. So you had to, you got to watch your own children grow up and then your grandchildren and then you have great-grandchildren that span 0 to 22. Yes. Right? Yes. And depending on how long you live, you might see a great-great-grandchild. I that's don't know. That's right. That's right. So I think that's pretty cool. I think that's a blessing to be around that long and aware that oh, long. Oh, yes. And I'm aware of what's going on. That's, what, a, that's a blessing. I know I know two people with dementia. Yeah. And my sister is one of them. And one uh, another one's just a friend. But I don't know. Sometimes I go to t trying to talk and I lose my words. Yeah? Yeah. When did that start? Yesterday. <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just sometimes, you yeah. know, depending on the situation. If I'm trying to think real hard, yeah, yeah, I, I'll lose a thought. Do you think you report less to your doctor or your family about your symptoms because you're worried that either no. they don't matter or they're not important? No. No? No. I don't report to the doctor at all. I just say, yeah, I'm fine. Why? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what? Why? Why would you do that? Instead you don't, of you telling don't... him? Yeah. I want him to think I'm stronger than what I am. Oh. Even if that means you get less medical care? No, I don't do it. To, I don't go that far. No. But if you don't tell them what's wrong with you, then they don't offer the treatments to begin with. No, that's true. They suggest. So you want the doctors to think better of your function and your strength. Yeah. Than it is. Why is that important for you to for you to have them think that? I'm not real sure. I guess it's because 
when I was growing up, doctors were everything. Yeah, we're not anymore. Newsflash. We're <laughs> regular Joes now. <laughs> um, because every time they had a slightest kind of a pain or anything, you went to the doctor. Yeah. Or the doctor came to your house. And the, it, it was very close to the family. Yeah. And now you just feel like you don't want to bother with it? Yeah. Hmm. Instead of saying, oh, I, you know, I'd rather say I'm fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So the point would be that you're underreporting your symptoms for a variety of reasons. Maybe yes. so that they think something or you just don't want to bother with it. Yes. Um. And then what are the main aspects of quality of life at that age? What brings you the most quality of life? I don't know. I don't I haven't been there long enough. I'm sorry. Okay. We'll go from 85 to 90. Okay. <laughs> Not just 90. You're, you're three weeks of being 90 or whatever. Do what now? What was the question? That's okay. <laughs> what brings you the highest quality of life? My family. Your family. Yep. Yeah. Like, my youngest was here today, brought me groceries, and I know she's got, she's taking care of her own grandkids. I know she's busy, but she finds time for me. Yeah. Because I'm fine. Because you're fine. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. well, very cool. Well, this podcast was supposed to be about maybe some biases people have towards older individuals or. And I don't find that at all. No. No. But I'm not out in the public. Well, maybe a young man would hold the door open for you because you look elderly. Yeah, right. That, it probably. That might be the best day you've had in a while. <laughs> That was a could, firefighter? It could be. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think the idea is that people make a lot of assumptions about physical and cognitive abilities. Yes. Based on how somebody looks. And so they might assume you're hard of hearing. And so they talk to you like this. Yeah. Versus normal. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, so just kind of those types of things of how we. Yeah. It, it, uh, I do have hearing aids, but I don't wear them. Why? Because they irritate me oh i can't get him to work with me yeah <laughs> those are very expensive hearing aids to sit yes they are sit around okay yes anything else you could think of for no. our conversation today oh i'm okay. fine <laughs> All right. Yeah, of course you're fine. Now I'm never going to believe you again. <laughs> oh, yes, you will. <laughs> oh. Okay, Nana. Thanks for making a, a guest appearance on the podcast. Oh, yeah. It was whatever I, I contributed to it. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> All right. I'll get that letter mailed for you. Okay. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'd like to take just a moment to review the disclaimer. This podcast is for informational and occasional entertainment purposes only. 
Nothing discussed here is formal medical, legal, or financial advice. By listening to the podcast, we are not creating a patient-doctor relationship between you and myself or any of the guests. Really, it's just me and a possible guest or two, sometimes three, sitting around talking about difficult topics related to aging parents. If you have or suspect that you might have a medical problem or condition, you should seek advice from a licensed medical professional. If you have any questions or concerns, please read the full disclaimer in the show notes or contact me directly. Thank you again for joining us today. I can't wait to see you next week. Have a good day.